from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing, we're having a good time. Nothing too deep won't tell you how to vote. Two stand-up comics with stories from the road. We're cutting up. All right, we got a hot podcast coming up. I got an interview with uh, Tyler Mahan Co., uh, who produces uh, uh, Cocaine and Rhinestones, a podcast that I really enjoy. And we also have some new cars. This is the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay, and she is Hannah Hogan. Hello, Dusty. Nice to see you. We are live and in studio. Mm-hmm. We certainly are live. I just interviewed Tyler Mahenko, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a good time. At least yeah. I, at least I had a good time interviewing him. Yeah, I think he had a good time. Uh, so that interview's next. I will. I'm just going to go ahead and get this out there, though. I, we have. The way our podcast stuff is set up, we have to, you know, you plug the microphones into the computer in order for those microphones to record what you're, uh, what you're saying. Mm, yes. You know? Yes, that's how it works. So I forgot to plug in uh, the USB cord to the computer during Tyler Mahan Co.'s interview. So it's still recorded, but it's only recorded off the microphone on my computer and not the actual microphones that we bought. So he was trying to test the microphones in here to see if it was a side mic or an angled in mic or a front mic, whatever. And we we kept getting the same reading on the computer, and it's because the microphones weren't even plugged in. Dang. Dang is what I say to that. Dang, dang. So I'm sorry about that. But it did record. It did record. So it is on this at the end of this podcast. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. Yeah. And so let's get right into it. We've had a lot. I was gone last week. Hannah, you, you did the whole thing yourself. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had a good time. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. your moon landing stories. Oh, and thank you. Here's a conspiracy. Bigfoot. Urban legends. Ghost exist. That's a good time. I had heard that that uh, that when the at the reason that we don't go to the moon anymore is because we went there and the aliens told us we're not welcome. Yeah, there's aliens on the moon. That right. was a conspiracy theory that I discussed in depth on last week's episode of We're Having a Good Time. Yeah, they live on the moon. Yeah. And the people that live on the dark side of the moon never get to see the earth. Yeah, and I believe this theory too. I'm out there with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, yeah. You'll have to look into it to see if you believe yeah. it, too. I've seen some stuff with Stanley Kubrick. You know, they say that in the movie, um, um, what's the movie with Jack Nicholson? The, the Shining. Uh, the Shining. They say in The Shining that the little kid is wearing a NASA shirt 
uh, you know, like a, a rocket, and I guess it's like the the rocket ship that supposedly went to the moon, and then like the hotel room that they're in is like some CIA number. Uh, it's and so they say that that's Stanley Kubrick's big reveal. Mm. That's him letting us know mm-hmm. that it's a fake, it's Absolutely. a fraud. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. So he I don't had know. to tell his story some way, so he, he hid yeah. it in his movies. I'll be honest. I hope it's true. I hope we didn't go to the moon. That's I mean, what it's I, crazy to because, think about anyone even being able to get there. You know, there's videos of, of people like interviewing Buzz Aldrin or whatever, asking him... I think this guy was like saying, if you landed on the moon, put your hand on this Bible and swear that you landed on the moon. And Buzz Aldridge punches the guy, right? And I think that's pretty funny that he punches the guy. But it's also like, if you landed on the moon, it's pretty easy to just throw your hand up there and go, I landed on the moon. But also, if you did land on the moon and you were confronted with aliens and you had to keep that a secret your whole life, you'd punch a guy too. Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe Buzz is just... He's like, you don't know what I saw on the moon. <laughs> Any memory of the moon makes you angry. Yeah. Maybe that's it. He's yeah. just like, don't you ever bring up the moon to me. <laughs> yeah. He's got PTSD. <laughs> I would too. We see aliens on the moon. Yeah. And there is also, because I've watched videos of them after they've come back from the moon and the four of them are just sitting there talking and they all seem so glum. Right, I don't even know if "glum's" a word, really, but they seem so sad, and they've been to the moon. Maybe it's because they're like, "Hey, we've been to the moon. What? What now? You know, what yeah. now? We're astronauts, and we've been to the moon. Yeah. What's left to accomplish?" Or they're like, "Dang, this is a lie that we gotta we gotta hide." Yeah. I've seen a video where a guy took that video and then matched it up with like a a, a video from iMac, like or like. Apple, they came out with a product and they showed the launch of the product and how much everyone was cheering. And then just like the thing, it's like, these people invented a computer. These people went to the moon. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That makes sense. Anyway. Interesting. Where we've been, where we're going. Where they going. Where they been. Where they going. Where, where they been. Where we're going, where we've been. So last week... Uh, you, uh, didn't do any shows. We went home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And you've talked about that. We had a good time. I had a great time visiting my family. We went home for Thanksgiving. Went to, when I say home, I mean my home. Uh, and, uh, we hung out with my dad. We hung out with my mom. Watched some, watched a lot of football. A lot of football. Ate a lot. We didn't eat a lot actually after Thanksgiving. We ate a lot on that day, but... To be honest, I mean, I had a one full plate and then a little bit of stuff that I, I really liked. It's just like, I don't know, it just doesn't seem worth it to me to just eat and eat and eat. There was a time when I was like, I'm about to eat as much stuff as I can. Yeah. But I just not, I'm not, I'm not in that place. Well, you eat out so much because you work on the road. So yeah. sort of like the luxury or the yeah. novelty of fancy different food you get all the time. That's true. That is true. I'm a very fancy eater. Mm-hmm. You are fancy. And then so last week we came back and Hannah took a rest. She did some local shows but didn't. I took a rest all right. <laughs> but, but so she's been like really hanging out. Yeah. So she's been taking it easy. Mm-hmm. But last week I had quite the run. I went um, to Kansas City and I did a show in this big conference room, a corporate show for farmers. It was called The Van Trump Report. 
So apparently this guy, his last name is Van Trump, and he is a uh, is a farmer, I guess, or or a farm strategist. But this thing was intense. People were up there talking about artificial intelligence. And I don't know how many people were in the room. I would say at least 500. Uh, I was supposed to go on at 530. Uh, the room was packed. I didn't end up going on till 645. And by then, a good portion of people had left, but there was still a lot of people in there. But it, but it even was more intimidating that people had left because it was like, all right, these are the people that are like, nah, we about to see if this guy, you know what I mean? Or it's people that are just like, hey, I'd like to laugh. And, uh, and I went up to a weird, you know, these kind of shows, it's, it's weird how, how they bring you up. I mean, you got this huge room. These guys have been on stage in this panel conversation talking about artificial intelligence. One guy was talking about a headband that you can put on and it can make you feel drunk. And just what? all all kind of crazy technology. So you're doing like a corporate gig for a bunch of kooks? I don't think they're kooks. I think they have real technology of things that... That, that is fascinating. Right. Can this, we even be talking about this on the podcast? Well, right? I don't have any details. Nobody can get anything what I'm talking. Seems to me you watch quite a show. But yeah, I mean, like, so these guys were talking about some really in-depth stuff. This is not what you classically think about with farmers. But then the guy brings me up. He introduces me from the stage pretty fast. So by the time I even make it to the stairs to get up on the stage, people are done clapping. And then uh, I just go up and talk about how weird it is. And then I just get into my jokes. And it actually went great. I did like 30 minutes. People really laughed. The longer the show went, the more laughs I was getting, the more people got into it. And I had a great time. And then I left and uh, went to my hotel. Next day, I went to uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas. I drove to Pittsburgh, Kansas, where they have a, a, a Pittsburgh Memorial Auditorium. I've been there earlier this year with Connor. Now, the Pittsburgh that y'all might be thinking of is not the one that you're talking about. Right. I didn't even know there was two Pittsburghs. Yeah, Pittsburgh. It seems like, it seems like the kind of name that's only one city. It feels like that. But yeah. Yeah, but I also thought that about Nashville for a long time. But yeah. apparently, there's several Nashvilles. There's a Nashville in... Either Kentucky or Indiana. I think both. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, a lot of I think of there's a Nashville, Ohio. Yeah. But so I went to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh without an H at the end. Pittsburgh, Kansas. I went there, did a show. Some great comics from Springfield were there. Um, and that show was rocking. I mean, and uh, it was packed and it was rocking and I had a great set. And then the next day, I drove to Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Christopher Michael Ray, he hooked me up with some gigs because I had these two corporate gigs that I needed to fill in in between. So I went to uh, Springfield and had a great time at the Blue Room. And uh, fun show. Just featured for Ricky Velez and a comic that I'd met when I did the True TV Showcase in New York. And so that was pretty fun. And then I went to my next corporate gig to Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Mm. And this was a, a bank that it bring, brought all their employees in from around the region, you know. Okay. So it was probably 300, 400 people in a room. Mm-hmm. It was a wide room, more narrow. Like a banquet hall? Uh, I don't know. When okay. you say that, I don't – I just mean it was like wide and narrow. Okay. Right? So you had to look right and left. They had a wireless mic, and the wireless mic cut out a lot. And they gave away all the gifts. They had a, like a drawing, and certain people won presents. And then they had me come up, right? And uh, I was doing an hour. And 
I could tell right away that it was not going to be easy. You know what I mean? Because I had, I had technical difficulties. You know, I had a microphone that was cutting out and then an audience that just wasn't into all my jokes. Like I was get on the big punches, I would get good laughs. And then, you know, a group of people left and you could tell when people would leave. So this group of people left, but they had some gifts, like they had won some stuff. So I made jokes about them. I was like, oh, you won your gifts and now you're getting out of here, huh? You got to go. And people really love that. And then the rest of the hour, only two other tables left, but they left and they both had gifts. And I was like, only people leaving in here with gifts. People, people who didn't win gifts, they're like, I'm going to sit here and watch this guy whether we think he's funny or not. <laughs> We're getting something out of this. So that was fun, though. I had a great time. It was really fun. And then I went and um, then I came. a bunch of one-nighters. bunch of one-nighters, four in a row. Yeah. And then, uh, so this week, Hannah, you are. Oh, my gosh. I'm opening for Gary Goleman. All right. Yeah, I love Gary Goleman. I'm very excited to work with him. Yeah, great. I worked with him earlier this year. I know. And it was very exciting. I like him a lot. Yeah. I've been a fan of his for a long time. I remember seeing him in New York like years ago, maybe when I first started stand-up, and I would take trips to New York, and I went to the Comedy Cellar. It was probably the first time I went to the Comedy Cellar, and I saw Gary Goldman, and I was like, this guy is amazing. He was probably one of my first Twitter followers, like big fan. So I'm super nervous. I've been hitting the mics this week here in Nashville. Well, he's very nice, and I'm I pumped know, for you. Yeah, I hate sure. that I'll be gone while hilarious. he's here. What's that? I hate that I'll be gone while he's here. I would love to. I would love to see him. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Really excited. I'm, so yeah, I'll be at Zany's this weekend, Friday and Saturday. That's great. Yeah. Two shows or four shows? I think four shows. I should double check, but I think four. But at the very least, the early shows. Yeah. Go see it. Gary Goldman, very funny. So funny. Hannah Hogan, so very funny. funny. He has so many funny specials. Yeah. He's so funny. The grape, I don't think, I, he definitely doesn't do it anymore, but he had this bit called The Grapefruits of Wrath, or it's a different one. There's it, a couple of different names. That I, <laughs> I already love it. That's hilarious. I found a couple of versions of it, but with different titles, but it's a very funny joke about grapes. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> about grapes. And it's so great. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be at Dead Crow Comedy in um, Wilmington, Wilmington, North Carolina. And uh, it's my old buddy, uh, Timmy Sherrill. Uh, he, Timmy Sherrill used to come down to Charleston Comedy Festival. And my first, the first comedy fest I was ever in, he won first place. I got third. He won first. That was back in like 2008, 2009. And he won. And then I won in 2011. Okay. And 2012. Jeez. How many other things did you win, Jesse? <laughs> Why don't you just list off all your cool little competition? No, I did. I won two in a row. You and, won uh, my heart, I guess. Well, that's right. <laughs> all right. Didn't think I was going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, uh, so that's where we've been, where we're going. You're on the road again. Hannah and Dusty are on the road again. Telling super funny jokes to all their friends. Hannah and Dusty are on the road again. Yeah! I just thought this was interesting. I mean, while I was on this trip, I left on Tuesday. And so I stayed in this Days Inn where, uh, very funny, the lady had my ID, which had me without my hat on. And then I was in there with my hat on. And she goes, is this you? When she was looking at my ID, like, like she couldn't recognize me. 
Because like I say, with a hat off, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. I was very frustrated with the lady. And then she, it was a day's end. Then she sent me up to my room. And then the room, like, there was, like, towels on the floor and stuff. It was, like, clearly someone checked out earlier that day and no one cleaned it. So I had to go back down. And then she was very nice and got me a new room. And then it was fine. So then I'm at that room. Mm. And then the very next day, I'm in Kansas City at the 15th floor of a Marriott Ooh, uh, very fancy. Flexing, and then, flexing. Yeah. And then the next day I'm at a hotel called the Lamplighter Inn in Kansas, Pittsburgh, which I really like, but it's a very like low budget, one level hotel, but there's a leather recliner in there. Honestly, one nighters kill the yeah. soul of comedians. Well, I enjoyed this. A, a week of one nighters is, I mean, I ran into the deer after a week of one nighters. I also... Got really sick last year when I did it, like four one-nighters in Michigan, and then I drove back to Nashville. It is exhausting. One-nighters are tough. They're, it's such a weird thing because you just drive, go to the show, drive, go to the show, drive, go to the show, and you're just catching up on sleep, trying to get adjusted the whole time. You're not ever in one place for too long. It's really like psychologically, like I think it, it tires you out in a special way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, then I went from the lamplighter to um, to uh, Christopher Michael Ray's house, oh, really? uh, and he, uh, him and his girlfriend lived together, uh, Molly, and, uh, and then they have two kids that live there, and they had two dogs and cats. You know, I struggle with animals anyway, uh, but we had a good time, and they were very nice to me. And then, uh, and then I went and I rented my own hotel in Poplar Bluff at a Holiday Inn. So I just like the range of all the different places I slept in. You like it? No, no, no. I don't like it, but I like it in the sense of talking about it, the mm-hmm. range of the different places that I yeah. was at. Because, you know, the the days in is too, like nothing's too, I'm not too good for anything, whatever. But the days in is below the quality that I want, right? I I did it because it was cheap, but I it's below the quality that I want. But the 15th floor on the Marriott is too much. I had to park my car in a garage. Uh, I had to pay to park. I had to give, they gave me like four keys because I had like special keys for the elevator and for the, you know, and it's a key for everything to get in and out of the garage. That's too much for me. Mm. The lamplighter, I liked it. I still think it's, I don't know. Actually, the lamplighter is great. They had, a, they had a decent breakfast. They had a heated pool. They had a recliner in the room. Actually, it's fine. But how often do you ever use any of those things? Well, I sat in the recliner quite a bit. <laughs> Did you? You yeah. just sat in the recliner? Yeah, you know, I had phone just calls. rocking? I had some important phone calls to make. I like and, to uh, think of you just sitting in a recliner. Yeah. Like, you know what? This recliner in this yeah. days in is not that bad. Yeah, I have a recliner right here that I sit in it's all the time. It's true. It's true. The one-nighters, to me, are not bad if you can get to the next one within a couple of hours. Yeah. It, but but it's like when it when it it's like a six hour drive mid midway that's a killer, yeah. especially we, me and me and Aaron Weber did that we did from one side of uh, Lake Michigan to the other side from from Muskegon Michigan to Egg Harbor Wisconsin with no hotel we had no hotel when we got to Egg Harbor we showered you know that was like a six seven hour drive and then we showered in the. Uh, in the like public showers and then drove another couple hours after the show. So those are rough. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really rough. It was rough. Especially up in Michigan. It's like cold and the yeah. elements are out there. Well, it was hot. 
Oh, this okay. time it was summer, oh, so we yeah. did have that going for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah, but then it's hot. Because we went down, we walked down a trail, and then we got real sweaty. Cause we, yeah, you guys don't want to be walking. Yeah, so once we got all sweaty down on this trail, and then we were like, oh, now we need a shower. <laughs> so we just walked around until we found public showers near the pool. Wow. We <laughs> that is so vagabondy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so funny. But I found... I've never even done that with you. I found with most things that if you walk in... Well, with you, it's easier, right? If if me and you are on the road together and we need to get a hotel, we get one hotel, yeah. you know? But uh, me yeah. and Aaron, like, we get one... Yeah, like, I don't want to share a room with anyone yeah. except my wife. I mean, yeah. if I have to, I will, but... I, no one's as fun as me. I mean, yeah. what's the point? But I, I just, you know, I just don't... I mean, I just feel like... You know, if it's one of those things where it's like, all right, we're going to stay in this room one night. But but it's like you never know people's snoring situations, their bathroom routines. Like what if, you know, I don't want to stay with some guy that like blows up the toilet in there and then like the whole room <laughs> is smelling. You're just describing the worst people though. Most people are pretty normal, I think. I think so too. But it, it seems like in comedy sometimes you get some people's worst habits. <laughs> well, I've only really shared rooms with girls and it's always yeah. been fine. I shared a room with a girl the other week. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I've reached an age now where I'm like, I'll shell out a little more to get myself a private room. Yeah, you know you what I mean. You deserve it. Yeah, that's why it's weird if you if you get if you get booked to do comedy and and you're staying with someone. Yeah. Now I don't mean I don't mean like Christopher Michael Ray giving me a place to stay while I'm at his house for one night because I had Kansas City and Poplar Bluff and I needed to fill some time in between. So he really helped me out. And I had a great time there. And I also found out Tyler Mahan Co. lived in Springfield, Missouri for a long time and knows about the Blue Room. Wow, that's all on the interview that are, is uh, following yes. this segment. Yes, it is. And then I wanted to do, uh, I wanted to talk about cars. I want to give a rundown of the cars that I've owned. In I'd li- like to hear it. In light of getting a new car, I'd like to give a rundown of all the different cars that I've owned. Wow. Okay. Story time with Dusty and Hannah. I'm, you know, in my mid-30s, and I started driving at 16, and I've had a lot of cars in 20 years. Okay. Well, let's hear it. So... When, when I was 14, uh, my dad got divorced uh, from his third wife, and uh, he was, uh, you know, he was alone, you know, and he'd been married, so he was alone. So he was, you know, he was really wanting me to hang around a little more, you know, he was, so he was buying me stuff. He bought me a PlayStation. He was being real nice. And then around, around the time, you know, I was, I was late into my 14s, and I was turning 15, and he bought this car. He bought a Toyota Camry. It's a nice car. And he said, "This is I'm going to drive this car, and when you turn 16, I'm going to give you this car. I was like, great, because it was a nice car. I was pretty pumped. I was like, you know, I was worried about what I'd be driving because I was already, you know, uh, I already was kind of feeling poor vibes. You know what I mean? But if you had a cool car rolling up in high school, right. change the game. And, and I don't think... I still don't think of a Camry as a cool car, but it's a nice car. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like you can't. You don't look at a Camry and make fun of a person. You just go, "Hey, that's a nice car." You don't. You don't go. You don't brag on it, but you don't rag on it either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so I was like, "Cool, I'm getting this Camry." And then 
my dad went down to Panama City uh, with me, with me and a friend of mine and a friend of his, went down to Panama City to meet, uh, no, just to hang out, and ended up meeting the lady that he is now married to, Martha. He met her in Panama City. I remember them meeting in the lobby and talking and laughing and then Martha coming over and knocking on the door and then him and her and, and my friend and her friend went for a walk on the beach. That's where I felt, smelled uh, weed for the first time was that we were at a hotel in Panama City Beach called the Fontaine Blue Hotel. And I smelled weed for the first time, and it smelled scary to me. Mm. And then uh, that is also, I went through a phase in high school where I, where I was wearing skull T-shirts, you know? I never felt particularly goth or metal. That's pretty goth, I think. Right. I never felt that, though. I never had a gothy or a metal vibe. But I wore... The uh, uniform. Yes. I wore skull T-shirts, some combat boots sometimes. I had a duster for a while. But this, is, this trip is where I got my first uh, skull T-shirt. It was a black T-shirt with two skulls. And then I got one of those uh, necklaces that was like a, like a hemp, uh, hemp necklace with a little plastic mushroom, <laughs> a psychedelic mushroom. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got that from a place called, uh, called Purple Haze down in Panama City Beach. Yeah, you did. And so my dad bought me those things, which knowing my dad now, it's so bizarre to me that he bought those things. He probably just wanted to make you happy. But again, this was that time where he's divorced. So yeah, yeah, he's buying things for me. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, he starts dating Martha, gets serious. They get married. My dad gives the Camry to Martha. Mm. This car that I wanted, she gave to Martha. He gave to Martha. So... Martha had two cars when she came into that. One was a full-size Bronco, and one was a 1984 red Bronco too. So my dad took that car, put all this money into this car. He painted it. He had new rims, new tires, new interior, CD player, everything. Fixed it up, everything but the engine. Where the engine was connected, it was a Mustang motor, not a powerful one. Mustang motor, Bronco, uh, Bronco car. And it matched up at the starter. So when you would crank it, it would go, right? So I've told, I've talked about this car before, so I'm going to skip over a lot of the stuff. But so that is the replacement that I got. That's what you got. So he fixed it up for you? He fixed it up for me, and the car looked great if the car sounded good. Okay. It was embarrassing the every time it cranked. The sound was bad, eh? Yeah, every time you crank. So I go, I'm driving to school. I go out to my car, and I crank it every time. It's... And it just sounds bad. Now, as an adult, I'd be fine. But as a 16-year-old kid, I was embarrassed every time. Yeah. So that car kept breaking down. So eventually, so that was car number one, red Bronco 2. How long did it last? Uh, less than a year. My dad, that's why you don't put a, you know, you don't just put a new coat of paint on a, on a, on a something that's not good. I don't know. There's an you expression. change the inside, baby. Yes, yes. It's yeah, what's on the inside it. that counts. Yeah. If he had fixed the motor... Instead of the exterior stuff, I would have still complained. He would have had to fix it all. Yeah. But the reason I think I was complaining about it is because I went into this thinking I was getting a Camry. Yeah, nice car. Right. So then they get rid of the Bronco. And then next they give me the full-size Bronco, the white full-size Bronco. It's like an OJ Bronco. That's dope. A little bit older. It was an 89 OJ's Bronco was a 90s model, but it had roll bars, step sides. I mean, it was sweet. You know what I mean? Like it was not 
the paint was old, the interior, like the back seat didn't match the interior of the front seat, the air conditioner didn't work, but it didn't matter. The ladies loved it, I loved it, uh, it was just great. But it also had The it. ladies loved it. They did it. love it. They did love it. I didn't. The ladies I, loved it. They did. I, I didn't. almost didn't catch it. And I'm like, did he just say the ladies loved it? I, <laughs> I didn't realize. I realized later now how much they liked it more than I do I liked then. it. My first reaction was dope. I mean, it was a sweet ride. I mean, yeah. it sounded good. It had the mufflers on it. Yeah. There was like, whoa, 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 uh, You know, that kind of yeah. thing. I mean, it had a real. Dang. Sorry that that model's now yeah. no longer available. Yeah, I made out with a couple of girls in there. Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah. and uh, had a good, I had a girl that I used to work with at the Western Sizzlin' wanted to go for. That's a ride enough. With it. I don't want to be hearing about Tris and <laughs> Western Sizzlin'. You animal. <laughs> yeah, when I was working at the Western Sizzlin', this girl wanted to go for a ride uh, with me, and uh, I, I I was like I was real young, like I didn't even I didn't I wasn't even like picking up the signs and. I ended up leaving before she got out. The next day, she was like, what happened to you? I was like, well, you weren't out there, so I left. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so that car but that car had some problems, too. After you would ride for a while and you would stop, it would it would be overheating, and water would just come flying out of, the, out of the... I had no idea. I don't know anything about cars. I probably could have figured it out now. But my dad never could get it fixed. So eventually, he just... This is what happened. One day I was working. I'm, I'm working at Jim Bob's Chicken Fingers. And I'm back there and I drove into that workplace in a, uh, 1989 Ford Bronco. My dad came and picked up the car while I was at work and he took it and he traded it in and he brought my new car and parked it out in the, uh, in the, the parking lot, in the parking lot of the Jim Bob's. Okay. So I left work in a 1999 Saturn, four-door blue Saturn with gray bumpers, no power steering, no, uh, uh, no, it was a stick shift. It was the most uncool car in the world. And... Why did they take the Bronco? Because it kept breaking down and he couldn't figure out how to get it fixed. So he just... So it sounds to me like you had a lot of heartbreak with your early cars. The Saturn, I drove for a long time. Actually, as much as uncool as it was, it ended up being a much better car all the way around. The inside was good. Yeah, because... And it was great on gas, and I ended up... You know, that's where I started working for Spectreside. I moved to Charleston in the Saturn. I mean, I drove that car for a long time. A lot of memories in that car. I had it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and in probably around 2005 or 2006, I was uh, drinking and driving and with my friend, and we left a party, and we were jamming out, and I went, I was driving, and I ran off the road and flipped the Saturn and landed on the hood, and it was, it was totaled. So we were fine. Me and both my friend were fine, and uh, I got out of there. Dang, Dusty. And everything was fine. We yeah. flipped into a marsh. Did you, we get, did you get in trouble? I didn't get in trouble. We didn't even damn How? it. Well, I climbed out of the window of the car, and it was in a marsh. It was December. I lost my glasses, and I lost my flip-flops, so I was shoeless, and I couldn't see that well. And I was a little bit wet, and my friend was there, and he was bleeding out of his head. 
And uh, this car pulls up, and this guy goes, hey, you guys need a ride? And my car's upside down in a marsh with the headlights still on. And I don't know if you've ever seen what a car looks like tipped over. I can't believe you survived that, babe. So this guy goes, do you need a ride home? And we were like, yes, we do. So he drove us home, and then we just went to sleep. And the next day, they had towed it in the night. But don't the police officers bust you for, like, leaving the scene of an accident? Uh, I thought they would. But they didn't. They didn't. Wow. Because I didn't damage anyone's personal property. It was only my accident. Is that how that works? I don't know. But I did. I mean, I, all I know is the next day I had, to, I had to, it got towed and I had to go to the police department to get a release form. And so I went in and I was very well dressed. And I had my, my most, I was as polite and well spoken as I could be. And I went in there and I asked for my police took a release form i said my car got towed last night i need to get a release form and they just gave it to me yeah they didn't ask any questions wow that's pretty lucky yeah i'd say and then i got it and then yeah i mean it was it was all fine so then i mean lucky also that you had this terrible drinking accident and both you and your friend were okay yeah even the bleeding of his head was you said you ran into a swamp i mean yeah you could have drowned you know yeah flipped upside down you could have been trapped inside the car yeah how did you get out i don't know i mean were the windows down i don't know if they were down or if we just or if they just broke but yeah we wow dusty we got right out it's a fascinating story yeah so then after that i had no car and uh, i was just starting uh, a new job i had been working part-time so it's probably around 2007 that i had been working part-time at spectroside for a long time and i was up for the promotion, I was about to get the big job. And now I've had this wreck, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to screw up everything, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, my mom's like, well, I got a car that I bought that no one wants to drive, so you can use it for now. So I came and picked it up, and it was a 1984 Buick LeSabre. Huge car. This car was a boat. It was metal. You, when you ride it, it just felt like you were floating a bit, just bouncing up and down in it. I mean, that car was super cool, it, but it burned up gas like nothing you've ever seen. Like, I was <laughs> I was spending so much in gas. And I went on, I remember going on uh, a date with this girl. I really had I really had a crush on this girl back then. You meet in the, her at the Western Sizzlin? No, 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 at Hyman's. And, uh, oh. and we went, and I, our first date, we went out downtown, and I just parked the car and then walked to her house. And we went out on the date. She had no idea the car that I drove. But then... The next date that we had, I took her for a ride in that car. And, man, that was an embarrassing car to take a, someone on a date in. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that thing. But it was great. Did I got, you guys continue to date? We did for a little while, Oh, yeah. then there you go. The car wasn't so bad. Nah, nah. I got pulled over a lot in that car. I mean, I got pulled over drunk in that why are car. You, why were you getting pulled over? Were you speeding? Oh, yeah, speeding. Why just, would you speed, though? Especially if you're drinking, wouldn't you just really well, focus on driving the, the speed limit? The thing about drinking is, is, you know, once you drink and drive enough, you, like, almost get comfortable doing it, and then you make decisions in the car like you make in real life when you're drinking. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Just bad decisions. Uh-huh. This is what we were doing. Me and the same friend that wrecked with me. He's riding with me in the Buick LeSabre. And we've been at happy hour all day, right? We're pretty pretty wasted. And we're driving down the road. We got our, we got our windows down. And we pull up beside... We're driving alongside of this car. And they've left their gas station or their gas tank flap open. 
right, to where it's just open. And my buddy, he goes, close that thing, right? So I'm driving and hanging out the window trying to close the flap on their gas tank while we're driving down the road. (laughs) Did you close it? I didn't get it. But then we turned at the red light and we got pulled over. And the cop saw you hanging no, out. No, no, he pulled me over for speeding. And then when he came over to the car, I couldn't find my registration. I had this big stack of papers in my glove box because I was so unorganized. You're such a hot mess, it sounds yeah. like. And I was flipping through the papers and asking the cop. He's like looking for my registration. I was like, is this it? I didn't even know what registration looked like. That's like, like me now. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> is this it? He was like, nope. And I'm flipping. I go, is this it? He's like, nope. And I keep flipping. I go, is this it? He's like, you just showed me that. And I was like, okay. So the guy gives me a ticket for speeding and a ticket for no registration. And he set the, the, the thing for way down the road. He set the, the, the court date for way down the road. So it was so far. I was like, I can't, this is un, unreal. And so I went to court and the guy had left the force. So they were like, all, all tickets are dropped. So Maybe he did that on purpose because he knew he was leaving the force. That's what I'm thinking. Wow. He's just doing his job, but he was like... You run into such great fortune, Dusty. Yeah. So I had that... Within your misfortune, you run into great fortune. So I had that car for a while, and things slowly started to fall apart on that car bit by bit. But then my next car was a uh, a 2008 Dodge Avenger. Uh, it was the first car I ever financed on my own. I had my mom as a co-signer with me. I bought it from a, a rent-a-car place. And very early on when I had that, I flooded that car in Charleston. Uh, I wrecked it several times, and it crapped out on me at about 180,000 miles. Wait, 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 wait. You wrecked it several times? Yeah, I, I flooded it once. Charleston floods a good bit. And one night I was driving, drunk, and um, I... Went, uh, I turned down a street. Actually, an ex-girlfriend had had texted me to come over, you know? Oh, dusty. And I was about to go home. I never hear these tales. So I was about to go home, and then she, I got that text. So I go to turn around, and when I turn around, I went down the wrong street, and the street got deep, and it was dark, and the water was very deep from where it flooded, flooded my car. Wow. So I went into this bar. And I told these people at this table, I was like, hey, I'll buy you all drinks if you'll come help me push my car. Because they wouldn't tow the car if it was still in the water. I had yeah. to get it out of the water. So I was like, I'll pay you money or I'll, I'll buy you beer if you help me push this car out of the thing. So they, they were like, okay. So we all went, pushed the car out of the water. And then we came back and I just bought a bunch of pictures. Wow, that's fun. For the table. And then we just sat in this, I think it was Norm's Pizza uh, on... on uh, Calhoun Street, and we just drank pitchers of beer right there, and then at the end of the night, uh, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just kind of walking home, and I heard this guy go, I'm going to, because cars were flooded everywhere. I mean, this was a big flood, and this guy was like, I'm going to James Island if anybody needs a ride, and I was like, that's where I'm going, so I just went and got in the car with this strange guy. And Why'd you leave your car? Because it's flooded. I mean, it got oh, towed. So, oh. It got towed out of there, and I, there was no, I had no car now. So, yeah, so I got a ride back. And then, but then that car got fixed. I mean, I wrecked it once. I remember once I was like, I'm going to quit drinking for a month. And I wrecked the car two weeks into that, and then I got drunk. Uh, and then... You wrecked it when you were sober? Yes. <laughs> so I had several, several accidents with that. 
hungover mostly. I would bang people in, 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 in parking lots. I would bump into them. And one lady I talked to, I was like, I had had so many wrecks. My insurance had gotten up to uh, 300 a month. And then, you are literally describing a person that I don't even know yet. I know. The same you that I know. I'm married to. So there's been, so weird. there's been various stages in my life. I can't believe you've had so much with yeah. driving and your record well, and stuff. this is what I'm saying, that I, I was hung over so much and I was driving for Spectrasat. So I was always on the road and I would hit people. I was always in retail parking lots. So one lady I talked to, I got out and I was like, listen, I was like, actually, two stories here. But one time I, I, hit, uh, I, hit, I hit these people and I was like, oh, man. Uh, I talked her into letting me pay her. I was like, here's my number. I think you can get this buffed out. See if you can call me. I'll pay for the buffing. So she did. She and she was like, "It'll cost like sixty bucks." So I took her sixty bucks, and I was like, "Okay, great." Not on my insurance. One person I hit in Orangeburg, South Carolina. I hit. It was this lady, and she had um, she had a baby. I bumped her car. There was no damage. She was on the verge of letting me go, and she was like, "All right," but I got to call my boyfriend first. And I was like, okay. So he comes and he shows up and he's, he has dreads. Looks like he has a real attitude. And I'm like, oh gosh, there's no way this guy's letting me go. And then we look at it for a little bit and he's like, oh man, you good. And I was like, great. But they had set the baby on the back of the car in this car seat. And he goes, oh man, you good. And I was like, great. And about that time, the car seat falls off the trunk and lands face first on the ground. Their baby? Their baby. And they pick it up, and the way the car seat's built is, I get he was strapped in, so it completely protected the baby. That is crazy. The baby was perfectly fine, but it fell straight like it- Face first into the cement. Yeah, but it didn't- because, It didn't hit because the, it, it's concave. Right, but the baby was screaming, and I was like, I'm just kind of like, because he had just said that I'm good- but now his baby's been hurt. Oh my gosh. Has his attitude changed? Jeez. So I was like, oh no. I was like, am I, am I still? He's like, no, you're still good. And you baby like, okay? <laughs> yes. I was like, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> and then. Um, All right. So how many more cars so do you this have? So this is Justin? the Dodge. That was the Dodge Avenger. So eventually the Dodge Avenger had crapped out on me, but I still owed a bunch of money on it because it's the first car I ever financed. So now my insurance has gotten to about $300 a month. <sighs> And so, and I still owe a bunch of money on this car. So I, I ended up going and trading it in. And I got a Honda Fit. Uh, I think it's a 2005 Honda Fit, maybe 2008, somewhere around there. Blue and uh, baby blue. And uh, looks, uh, it's the ugliest car to date that I've owned. Uh, but I, I got that car and now I immediately owed more money on that car than it was worth because I carried over a negative equity. Right. And then when I talked to my insurance company, I, I, I let my insurance company know that I used my car for driving. So it bumped it up. Now my insurance is $500 a month and I have a $300 car payment. I changed insurance companies, got it down to 300 but it was everything about it was killing me. Financially, it was killing me. And one night, I went down to Statesboro, Georgia. I was working at a Lowe's, and I got drunk with this buddy of mine that I worked with. And then me and him got into a fight. So I was like, I'm just going to go home. And it was a three-hour drive from Statesboro to Charleston. And I fell asleep on the interstate driving. And I ran into the median. And then I woke up, and I jerked the car back on the road. And I slid, like, the, the rear slid up. 
and I got sideways and then I jerked it back the other way and then I slid completely the other way and then I just straightened up and kept driving. And then I drove to a Walmart and I slept in the Walmart parking lot for the rest of the night. And uh, eventually I decided that I wanted to quit Spectracide. So I was like, all right, I need a plan. So I thought if I quit, if I sell this car, then I don't have this insurance payment and I don't have this car payment. And then I decided to quit drinking. And then once I quit drinking, within two weeks of quitting drinking, I had this whole plan worked out because I was like, I calculated roughly the amount of money that I was spending on alcohol and that I was spending on cigarettes and that I was spending on my car with the car payment and the insurance. And I was like, if I just sell the car, quit the job, continue to not drink, I don't even need money, really. I mean, I need very little money. And that's what I did. I quit. So my next mode of transportation after that was the green bike that's in our room right now. It is a uh, specialized, cost me 500 bucks, drove that for two years. Then I bought a 2005 Volvo S60. I bought it with 105,000 miles for $8,000. And I put an extra <laughs> 211 miles on that car. I drove that car all over this country. I love that car. It's a little piece of me inside of that car, or a little piece of that car still with me. Mm. And I, 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 I traded it in, and I just, it just like that, it was gone. Last week. I mean, I had it. I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was, you know, woven into the fabric of that car. I mean, I've driven that car all over the place. I've been to, I met my wife in that car. I've, I've, um, you know, I've started my road comedy career in that car. I mean, that car has gotten me all over the place Mm -hmm. and now it's gone. Just like that, it's gone. And it makes me sad. I don't know if you can be sad about inanimate objects like that, but... uh, Well, if you are, then I think you can be. It's not that... It's just that I won't ever be able to drive the car again. I think the great thing about that car was it, it, it exceeded expectations. Yes. You know, you it got did. that car with a lot of miles on it. You didn't spend that much money on a car and it really set you off. It really did. Yeah. And there was a lot of times when it shouldn't have. Like meaning like one time an oil change place told me that my oil pan was stripped and that they put a temporary cap into the thing until I could get a new oil pan, which roughly after all costs would cost about $1,000, right? So I let them put this temporary oil thing on my oil pan not knowing really what it was. And I drove all the way to Fargo, North Dakota. All the oil had drained out of my car. I didn't realize that I was in Fargo on a Sunday uh, or or somewhere in Wisconsin or Minnesota up there uh, because I was on my way back from Fargo. So I was probably in Minnesota. And yeah, the guy had to refill my, had to put all oil in my car in another cap. And then I drove all the way down to Cocoa Beach, Florida from there same thing, just a can of oil in my car, just filling it up all the time. And I got, I took it to another place and they replaced, they were like, yeah, it's stripped, but you just need a longer plug. So they put a new plug in there and then it was fine. But draining oil out like that, that car could have locked up and died on me, but it didn't. It never did. The check engine light came on a lot 
but it never meant anything. It was a very loyal car. It was. I just would like to have it to drive it around a bit. But here is where it all comes full circle. It's where it all comes full circle and that I have a new car now, and guess what it is? A Toyota Camry. A Camry. I finally have the Camry that I never got. Full circle. Full circle. And this time, I bought it myself. Yeah. Bought it myself. We saved money. Hannah got some money from insurance, but I since the moment I bought the Volvo, I've been saving money. I was like, because I was able to buy the Volvo cash because I had... Uh, had a bike, but because I had been in so much debt before. Oh, this is a thing I forgot to mention. When I sold the Honda Fit, I had to pay like three thousand dollars to to clear the loan. So I made no money off the sale. I actually lost money because I had to. I had so much debt on the car. So that's why when I got that bike and started biking for two years, I saved money. I saved, 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 and then I bought the Volvo with cash. And that was so nice because I now didn't live in that debt world. Well, it's like you physically got yourself out of debt right. by eliminating uh, luxury slash necessity of a car by just digging yourself out of that hole, right. which you know is uh, amazing that you had the, f- the foresight to do that. Right. Because a lot of well, people just get slammed with- I had, I had great mentors around me telling me life. things. Yes. But so that's why the moment I bought the Volvo, I started saving. And I'm like, save, 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 because I was able to buy my car now uh, with cash. Yeah. Because I saved. Yeah, save. And you saved specifically for a car. Right. Like, it wasn't like, ooh, save for Social Security or, uh, you know, anything other than I need to start saving for a couple years because right. I'm going to need a car and in a couple years. And now I'm going to start saving for my next car. Yeah. It's I mean, already begun. I saw you throw a couple pennies in that jar. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's already begun. I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to be saving already, and uh, so that is the journey of my cars. A Camry. So back to the Camry. We just got a few minutes, so um, so I say we just do advice to comics, and then and then get out and play. Well, the what interview. if we just did do an advice to comics where we talk about saving for a car and saving for things that you know you're really going to need or want, and and you know you played the long game with that. I mean, you save for years. You are what you are. I'm gonna make him an offer again with you. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think th- I think that's a good advice for road comics. Well, it, you know, because a mean, lot of people get in a real bind when their car falls out and then they can't get to their gigs. Well, I think that's generally good advice for anyone. But I mean, I think some good advice is to find a car place that you that you like and that you trust, because when you know, sometimes people recommend maintenance on a car and you go, this is BS. You're just trying to make money off me. And a lot of times they are, but sometimes there is maintenance that you need to do on a car that's going to save you money in the long run. Like a lot of people will say, ah, I was putting so much money into that car that I just went and bought a new one. But it's like, eventually you're going to put a lot of money into all cars. So that's why I would put the money into maintenance on the Volvo. I put, you know, I got a new timing belt put on there multiple times. Some of that stuff's very expensive, but it's like, if you do it, it keeps the car running. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I I, I, I have a different advice to comics thing. And I just think that because of the different rooms that I found myself in this weekend, uh, I think that it's important to work different rooms. I know we've talked on this 
touched on this before, but I, I think it's important to make yourself uncomfortable because it helps you get stronger. Putting yourself in uncomfortable rooms and uncomfortable situations helps you because a couple of the shows that I did this weekend, they, they weren't my ideal audience. I mean, they didn't, they weren't, like a lot of times you go out and people are immediately into the thing you're doing. And I didn't, I didn't get that a couple of times and I had to work for it. I had to earn it. And uh, I think had I not been done the amount of uncomfortable rooms that I've done, I wouldn't be equipped for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, in this interview that we're doing, now I'll, I'll just, I talked a little bit about it when I introduced him, but uh, this guy, uh, my friend Michael Wyman uh, introduced me to this podcast of his. It's Cocaine and Rhinestones. I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast. And Hannah, you just listened to it. Uh, and I think if you're into country music, you will really love it. If you like country music and you like podcasts, you And biographies. Yes, and you'll really love it. But yes, if you're just into history, biographies, and that sort of stuff, even if you don't like country music, I think you will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Because it just, it doesn't, it just talks about these, these people's lives. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's all true. I'm not going to back cool. it, it up it, and it do feels the research. Like, it feels like it has like a special inside. Right. Uh, perspective on it all, and I think that's what makes it sound it, really fresh. Yeah, and he talks about getting hate mail uh, for talking about Merle Haggard, and uh, I I enjoyed the Merle Haggard episode. I I like Merle Haggard a lot. I mean, I am a huge fan. Maybe not as much as a fan as someone that might have grown up listening to Merle Haggard. I mean, I I listen. I went back and listened to Merle Haggard, but um, I think he's great. But I love that episode. I think that episode was real fun. Again, like I was saying, I don't know if I'm right about these things. I don't know if his his analysis is true, but I enjoy it. Yeah, it's entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a good time talking to him. I'm not an excellent interviewer, and uh, so it's more of a conversation. Yeah, you don't have to be an interviewer, though, on your own podcast. I mean, it's more about, you know, just sitting down with someone else that is – Doing yeah. cool stuff in the city you live in, you and know? It, and it's exciting. I mean, it's the, you know, the son of David Allen Coe uh, in, in, in studio recording. and uh, That's neat. It is neat. Yeah. I mean, I grew up listening to that stuff, and uh, it's very fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So, that's awesome. Yeah, so we had a good time doing that. And, uh, so, All right, well, let's listen to this interview. So then, that's right? going to play right now, and uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please go on. Uh, and give us a rating on, on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and leave a review. People have been doing that. We really appreciate it. Check out Dusty's website. He's got a lot of cool merch, got a lot of cool shirts yeah. and hats. Yeah. Dusty is mailing stuff out every day, so you want to get some, some of this good stuff. Yeah, and I just played around with my website and just added <laughs> some cool stuff in. Yeah, so, go so check out his website. He's like, babe, look at look what I did with my website. Yeah. It's really it's cute. Very fun. He gets yeah. excited. Dusty's pretty... Uh, uh, I don't know, ADD with stuff, you'll get really focused and in the zone with things. I think I just get into it. I that's don't what think, I'm saying. I don't think there's any need Maybe for that's me. the opposite of ADD. You yeah. get really ultra-focused. Yeah, there's no need for me to have a disorder. I'm just into <laughs> it. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, I, I'm sorry. You're yeah, right. Yeah. I get creative and I get yeah, into it. Yeah, you get it. creative. But that uh, is what also you're... some upcoming shows, just, you know, if you're, you know, I'll be doing um, uh, Wilmington this weekend. Next weekend, I'll be doing Side Splitters. Have a week off for Christmas. Then I'm going to be doing um, uh, Punchline in Atlanta, New Year's Raleigh, first week of January in Dallas. So if you live in any of those places, share that with your friends. Tell them. Yeah. Um, 
And go see Hannah this weekend at Zany's. Yeah, I'm going to be in Nashville this weekend. It's going to be in a good time. Yeah, come to Zany's. All right. See Gary Goldman. All see right. Me. All right, there we go. Thank you very much. We're having a good time. We're having a good time. Here we go. Tyler Mahan Co. Having a good time podcast. Uh, my name is Dusty Sled, and I'm here with Tyler Mayhem Co. Having a good time. Having a good time. We're having so much fun. And uh, Tyler is uh, has a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Also, a podcast called Your Favorite Band Sucks. Uh, they're both a lot of fun. Cocaine and Rhinestones is uh, is a favorite of mine. I, I tore it up, and he made a tweet one time, and he said. Uh, uh, I want to be on your podcast, not meaning me specifically, just in general. <laughs> and so I responded because I think this will be great. So we have him here now. Welcome. Yeah, we're in. We're around the Nashville area, and this is Music City, USA. It's a city that has been identified with the recording industry for a long time, and the recording industry kind of doesn't exist anymore. But the podcast industry is sort of happening, but it's happening in L.A., it's happening in New York City, and I'd like to see it happen here because I decided to make a couple podcasts and it changed my whole life for the better, and I see it as sort of a you know Wild West situation right now where if you're brave enough to get in there and you've got something to talk about that people want to hear, you can change your whole life too. I'm all in. I would like to make this happen for as many people as I can, you know? Totally. And I don't know if what I have is something that people want to hear about, <laughs> but uh, I like to, uh, you know, I like to travel around and then come back and talk about the cities that I went to and the people that I talked to and the food that I ate. And uh, I'm always uh, too afraid to be too negative about things. There was only... You don't uh, want to leave any bad reviews for places? Right. I never leave no. a bad review. Yeah, so I, <laughs> in my private life, you know, you get all these apps at various times... And especially when I was on tour, I used to use a bunch of apps to keep track of the places I ate, like you're talking about right now. And because I would, I would be back in that city at some point, I want to remember what place I ate. I would keep journals and everything. And then uh, I realized that all the, the my ratings that I was leaving was was public, and that people were seeing what I, like my what I thought were just my private opinions of these places that I had eaten and stuff. And I was just you know shitting on small businesses all, oh, yeah. all over the country. Yeah, well, especially if, if if your name is attached, mm. if it's your real name that's also attached to your podcast and then your live I, de- I deleted them all, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm worried about. Like, mm. I'm like, I'm going to leave a bad review for this restaurant no. and someone's going to come to my show, leave a bad review. Yeah, it's better to just not say anything about it. Yeah. I even had a secret account that I would leave bad reviews, and normally I feel bad and go back and delete them. Oh, wow. That's, you got some stuff. Are you Catholic or what's the... No, I just, you know, I just feel bad. You know? like, <laughs> I feel, I get home later and I'm like, you know what? These guys are just out there. They're working hard. They probably had a bad moment. Even mm-hmm. the post office, a guy really like, he really talked down to me in the post office. Here or somewhere else? In Nashville. Okay. I was so mad. I left a bad review and then even I deleted that one later. Yeah. At the post office. Well, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, post office. You were the East Nashville one, right? This was in on the west side. Right? Oh, well, then I don't Charlotte know. Charlotte Park area. That guy was acting above his I know. position. I, I know. I know. This is what I, you know, the priority box cost you 15 bucks for the whole box. And it's, someone sent me that. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to reuse this box. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you can't do that. And you can do it. You 100% can do that. 
Yeah, and he was, <laughs> he was a very large dude, and he really talked down to me in there. And I said, you know what, oh. it's fine. Yeah, that can happen. If it were a private business, I would have packed up my boxes and said, I'll just take my business elsewhere. But yeah. the post office guy, he doesn't care. I thought he said we were going to talk about politics on Sorry the show. Sorry about that. Yes. Uh, the post office. Is, uh, it's hot. It's hot in there. All right, so I got you here. And mm-hmm. uh, what I've been doing lately is I've been talking about um, bad places people have stayed. Uh, experiences they've had. One guy got, uh, there was a murderer in his hotel room. The cops came and got him. Uh, another guy uh, stayed at a hotel that uh, they filmed Wolverine in, and uh, uh, Wolverine stayed in the hotel, and they didn't even have to change anything about it. It was just a bad hotel. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then one guy sent in a thing about uh, his alcoholic uncle and then getting attacked by a dog. Okay. So... So that's my competition? Yeah. All right. But I think I think you got it. <laughs> you seem like a confident person. Well, I think you got it. The, the thing, my thing is is really just whittling it down to a, a story or five. Yeah. It, because I dropped out of high school when I was 15, and I went on tour with my father, who is David Allen Coe, and we toured year-round for 13 years about. Um that's a lot of traveling and just that pure numbers game. You're going to have a lot of crazy stuff happen. When, what, when were you 15? What was the year? Oh, see, I'm bad at math. I was born in 84. My okay. social security number starts with, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, it's, I would have been what? 90, but it was pre pre nine 11. Yes. Okay. For sure. Okay. Uh, Cause I remember when everyone was fucking nice to each other. Yeah, that would have been 99. Yeah, like that, that year, 9-11, yeah. whatever, and everyone was all nice to each other that oh, one oh, year. Oh, yeah. well, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, Alan Jackson wrote a song. Mm-hmm. We all came together around it. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so just, I mean, I, yeah, there are bad restaurant stories, bad hotel stories. Yeah. The A lot of the worst stuff is when someone wants you to stay at their house with them. Totally. Mm-hmm. That's never good. But you can't really tell those stories on a podcast because then you're just straight up shitting on a specific family who right. knows that you're talking about them. The way I like to handle those <laughs> is wait till time has gone by and then describe it like I did it yesterday. Um, there's been a lot of real bad, like, top of a mountain in the winter places, like ski okay. resorts. They don't treat the band well. A lot of casinos will put you in a bunker. Like with no heat? Uh, definitely no heat on top of a mountain one time. Yeah, wow. that was a bummer. Uh, but like most of my real crazy stuff is in the venue during the performance. That's probably different than the stand-up comedy world. Yeah. Uh, in the honky-tonk country music, you're in the band world... The, those the jokes about we play places with chicken wire in front oh, yeah. of the stage. Those places exist. Well, well, let's say this: like uh, because as a comic, oftentimes the worst thing that happens to you is someone yells something mean to you on stage. Oh, that's it, cute. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> I know. I know. So, what's uh, what would you say? Like the worst thing that's happened while playing it, that affected me while playing. Just but people coming on the stage, people rushing the stage because okay. the my father was the always the bullseye in that situation. And for context, because I'm about to talk about what could sound like egregious overreactions on my part, for context, some a musician that we 
worked with and were very close friends with, whose name is Dimebag Daryl, was murdered on stage by a oh, psychopath yes. with yes. a gun. So after that, if we saw someone who wasn't supposed to be on the stage coming towards the stage in the middle of a show, I, I'm going to choke them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, a lot of stuff like that. And cause you can't punch someone. If you're a musician and you punch someone, you might break your hand and then you're not playing, you oh, know? Right. So you have to, you have to do right. something else. You can choke them. You can probably hit them with your elbow. Afro men did punch a girl on stage. I, think, I right? did see that. That was, <laughs> that was pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, that was a rough video. I don't, think he, I don't think he plays a lot though. Really? Uh, um, I don't know how much guitar he really plays. Yeah. Yeah. He could probably afford to throw his hand in a cast yes. and he could still hold a microphone. Someone was murdered while we were playing one time in the audience. Yeah. That was at a place I'll name it. Uh, that was a place called G's ice house. I'll name it. Cause I don't think it exists. And even if it does still exist, everyone knows what right. they're walking into. Murder happens at your place. You yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows. Uh, so if you've ever seen the movie, I always get the confusion. It's so terrible. Urban Cowboy is the John Travolta. I've seen uh, it when I was a kid. It's right. been a long time. So that is basically a commercial for Gillies. And Gillies is the largest nightclub in the world when it was, or large, largest honky tonk in the world when it was in its heyday. And the dude who did it, he's in the movie a little bit. He's going to share with Pryor. After the whole Gillies debacle, he opened this place in Deer Park, Texas called G's Ice House. Poured concrete floors, not any real walls, uh, tin, roof, and this dude's whole thing was the mechanical bulls, shitty cheeseburgers, you know, whatever oh, yeah. entertainment he can call in a favor to get up on the stage. And David Alco is one of the most loyal motherfuckers you'll ever meet in your life. You know, if, if you're on his side, you're on his side. And so we would always play this place, you know, long after it was, we show up and the money's not right. We show up and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, there's, there's always problems. We're still there, still doing it. And until this one time, and we don't we don't really know what happened, but there are specific bike gangs in that area. I'm not going to throw any names out, but yeah. so one dude in one gang started something with one dude in another gang. Yeah, I'd rather yeah. not throw those names out. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah, so there was um, a body count on that one. I've seen a lot of crazy-ass fights. There was one time in Texas we were playing this place. It was a combo steakhouse music venue, which there are a lot of those in Texas. Yeah. And it's pretty fantastic if you're a tour musician, too, because they know how to cook steaks oh, in yeah. Texas. Uh, I can't remember where this one was, but they had hired the local police, off-duty police officers, to do security. Uh, first of all, the places that we're playing, often places where trouble happens. Second of all... Us, this act, the David Allen Co. Right. act, uh, tendency to bring rowdy folk out. 100%. So, yes. yeah, they just straight up hired cops to be there, which was cool until the fights inevitably broke out and one of these cops maced someone in a real crowded room oh, yeah, and it got into the ventilation system. So this cop maced one person, but... Literally maced every single person in there. So we're in the middle of playing and everyone's coughing and shit. And also that fight didn't stop, but no one could see who they were hitting. So swings just were landing on non-intended oh, targets. Wow. So if you've ever seen in a movie where like a small fight turns into everyone in here is punching everyone, yeah. that happened in this place. Yeah. The other day. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. That happened in this, this place. This, I mean, I've 
there are multiple stories I could tell like that. So the whole place is fire. Yeah, there. I mean, there are all stories like that. I remember one of the one of the other guitar player in the band. At one point, he was off the stage and trying to jump back up onto the stage. And someone, you know how when you're remembering a story, you have a, a tendency to insert yourself. I'm not. I I want to say that I was involved in this, but I'm not sure that I was. So someone was like pulling his guitar player up on the stage and someone else grabbed his pants pocket to pull him back into the fight. The fight and he's, his pants just got fucking ripped oh, off yeah. as we pulled him up onto the stage. So he's running around with his pants off. Everyone's still fighting. I mean, it's just pure madness. There's other times, I mean, another guitar player got pulled off the stage into the crowd at one time because he was... Trying to stop someone. This was at a House of Blues. So you know how House of Blues stages are taller? Yeah. They're like shoulder height if you're standing in the audience. So someone thought they could climb up onto the stage for some reason. And the guitar player on the other side of the stage was like no, like shoving them, trying to preempt it, shoving them back down. And But then other people just grab him and pull him into the fucking audience in the middle of a song. This is, yeah. So a comedian would never want to open for the for the David Allen. I'm movie. trying to... It's never happened. We've, we've been on festivals... Like uh, Willie Nelson's Fourth of July picnic, where Larry the Cable Guy or Ron White, or they'll they'll do something that's a with new, us. That's a new yeah. level, though. Yeah, yeah. That's there's another level up there. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to put some. You wouldn't want to put someone who was different from what this crowd was expecting right. to see in front of this crowd. I don't think you wouldn't want me to come out and go. All right, we're having a good time. I've seen some really rough. Oh, honestly, I've seen some rough situations even just on those Willie Nelson Fourth of July picnics. You can't. You have to really be careful where you put someone like David Allen Coe in a lineup. I've seen. Yeah. I've seen the crowd chant David Allen Coe halfway into the next act's set. Wow. Before on a Willie Nelson uh, picnic, yeah. So it's you. You probably wouldn't want to. You probably wouldn't want to get up there and yeah. try to like hustle a comedy vibe out of it. What do you think's making these people fight during this show? It might be the beer. Okay, that could be it. I just wonder, though, like these people are drinking at all kinds of concerts, though. What What is it? I mean, they get they're, they're so fired up at these shows. Well, well, I mean, David Allen Coe is a cult figure. Yes. Yeah. This isn't someone you're seeing on TV all the time. This is someone you're reading about in magazines all the time. And he's certainly not in your town every month or so, you yeah. know, so... This is something, and it's also something that you were probably handed to uh, by someone you care about in your life for all the reasons that I just said. You didn't get this from mainstream culture, uh, tastemaker people. You got this from your uncle or something. So it means a lot to you, and you get excited. You know know you're going to get fucked up. You know you're going to not go to work the next day, and you get in that headspace, and someone steps on your fucking boots, man. Is there a particular song like um, like, – uh, what is it, the uh, redneck rock and roll son of the South? Like, you think, is it would be like a fired up one, get people more into it, or would it be? It, it, it doesn't. Would it be a, a, a song, like you say, and then someone steps on your boots and it's like. It doesn't. I've seen, I mean, I've seen it happen at any and every point. I mean, again, 13 years, it's just you're going to see every permutation of how this evening plays out. Cause you're just doing the same thing every day. You know, you're, you're loading in, you're waiting around to play, you're playing the show and then you're leaving. That's the constant. Everything else is a variable. So yeah. you, you see every version of it, you know? Yeah. My favorite album I like is uh, tattoo is an album that I like a lot. I don't know yeah. anybody else that really uh, likes that one, but I mean, not that they dislike it. They just don't know those songs. I'd have to look at the list. I'm always bad at knowing which songs are on which album. Yeah. I loved it. I, I mean, I'll show it to you. I, I, 
after. I mean, there's no need yeah. to rehash what those songs. But none of those are like rowdy songs. They're all like a real loving vibe. Uh, had the Mabel Joy. Well, that's, this is something that comes up a lot when I'm talking to people about the entire outlaw country era of country music. Because right now, there's this romanticized viewpoint of outlaw country. That's when men were men, you know, and right. they, like they all were tough and blah, blah, blah. But if you go back and listen to any album by any artist that these usually men are calling right. real men of the day or whatever. I mean, you're going to hear a hardcore fucking tearjerkers, man. Oh, yeah. Like these guys are coming for your sadness and that's, yeah, it's tender, you know, like they're naked emotions on display. It's really not about that. Yeah. I was just listening to your, I don't know if it's yours. It says the Tyler Mayhem Co. list on Spotify and it's just a, a well, oh, I have not made a list on oh, Spotify, okay. but it has uh, John Connolly backside of 30. Love that, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, you know what that is? Um, I do DJ sets okay. sometimes. Like, people will hire me to play records somewhere, and then I'll post the list of what I played online, so I bet someone went and made okay. a playlist of that stuff. Okay, yeah. I bet that's what that is. But that's one of those as an example oh, of that. yeah. You know? I mean, like, if this guy, you know, cheated on his wife, and he's got all these kids, and now he's like... Well, and then that's the thing too. It, country music is not about bullshit. Like you can go to a club where they're playing whatever pop dance hits are happening right now, and never think a thought deeper than "I wonder what alcohol I would like to have in my next drink." Right. You know, because nothing's going to happen to make you think anything deeper than that. But if you go to a honky tonk full of fucking drunk people and just happen to pay attention to what one of these songs is about, it's going to make you think about everything that sucks in your life, and you're going to get yeah. real raw about it. You know, well, maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. that's the fight, right? You've pulled real emotions out of people. Fuck yeah, man. Uh, old memories come up and now they're, they're emotional. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And they start thinking about stuff that went down before. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you what, man, I was, I was raised in these places. You know, I, when I say from 15 to 28, that's professional. That's what I feel comfortable saying. I toured for that long, but the reality is, is I was doing this my entire life. You know, yeah. I was on tour before I went to kindergarten when my parents were still married. I was spent every summer on tour. Uh, one, when I was nine, I homeschooled myself on tour and ran my dad's light show. Like I was basically the production engineer for him when I was nine. You know, so I was, I was raised in these places and around this type of human interaction that you don't get anywhere else. And sometimes I'll feel weird and I just have to go to a bar. Like I have to go be in a bar where country music is playing so I can just sit in a room where people are feeling that way. Cause yeah. I, that's what, is home to me. So you were raised around like probably like to me at least like the greatest generation of country music people. It would depend on who you ask. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. Like, like, yeah. I mean, like the people. I mean, eight, I guess you were. I mean, it's still the eighties. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I was born in eighty four. Yeah, yeah. But it's still like the the people from the seventies. A lot of them were still around mm-hmm. in that time. Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got pictures and memories yeah. and conversations and yeah. Because when listening to your podcast, that's what's so great about it. It's like you clearly have put in all this work, but then you also have other insight. Well, I think it, obviously I've had a lot of time to think about the podcast that I make and I, it, and I, people tell me what they think is interesting about it. I think what's different is that I have done this, you know, I don't, I don't know the life story of everyone who was ever a music critic. And I'm not saying that in order to be a music critic, you need to go out and do this. But for what I'm doing specifically, 
which is navigating the history of country music, the life that I've lived is extremely saturated with that. You know, I would never use that as the only thing I need to bring to the table. I'm never going to tell you, listen to me because of the life that I've lived. I'm always going to go find another source because that's where credibility comes from. It would be real horseshit if I was like, <laughs> my dad's David Allen Coe. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, but if I can't go find other reasons besides I'm right for me to be talking about what I'm talking about, then I shouldn't be talking about it. If right. You know. Well, I mean, but what I was going to say is I don't, I don't know how many people who we often listen to talk about music really have much of an idea what they're talking about. And I can guarantee you that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about if they haven't toured and they're talking about touring, you know, because virtually everyone has a false idea of what that is like. Sorry, I, I got distracted. I hope this is still going. I don't know what this screen is. I've never seen this screen in Hit my life. The- and uh, there's an exit thing on the. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're still going. Perfect. Cool. All right. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, if you were making all this stuff up, it's still the greatest stories that I've, I've listened. You know, especially. At, but I think my wife is not a country music fan, right? And uh, so I finally got her to listen to. We went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. She's from Canada. Her dad came down, and uh, we we wanted to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame. So there's this whole Judd's. Exactly. Oh, yeah, I've seen and that. We talked a little bit about <laughs> through email. And then, you see, they're going through and they're reading it, you mm-hmm. know, reading what the, they have to say there. But I had just listened to your podcast about it. Yeah. So I'm, like, able to see this thing. And what at least I believe is is a new light. You know, I'm like and, – and I think that – I don't know. It's so great to just think of as I'm looking at, at these things to just think about what you had said in this podcast. And you said, and I don't know if this is something you'd want to talk about, but you said you had a story about that. Oh, I, yeah. Well, I definitely can't say okay. it on the, okay. on the okay. podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, I have seen that exhibit. It, uh, yeah, it is. It is. And this is another reason why I wanted to do what I want to do is that. I don't really have any skin in the game anymore as far as the music industry goes. You know, I never really would have if it wasn't for my father. I didn't, when I dropped out of high school and went on tour and I was in his band, I didn't go on tour to be in his band. He told me I was in his band and then I learned how to play guitar. That's what happened. You know, I didn't have some dream for the stage. I never probably would have been in a band if it wasn't for him. Right. And I still play guitar at home. I have zero interest in getting up on a stage in front of a room full of people and being like, hey, listen to this. <laughs> like, who gives a fuck, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I forgot why I started talking about that. What were we doing? How did we get into that? Uh, we were talking about the Judds and... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not ever going to need to try to be on their label or to have their manager like me or anything like that. I mean, I, yeah. I do want, almost all of the time. I want my subjects to be happy with what they hear, you know, like when Wynonna Judd listens to that episode, if she listens to that episode, I hope that she feels like I tried to do a good job of telling her yeah. story. And I think- that's my motive, you know, but if I have to talk about some uncomfortable stuff to do that, 
probably the most uncomfortable that I was was making the Buck Owens and Don Rich episode because I knew that I was going to have to talk about some things that people didn't know about someone they liked a lot that could potentially negatively impact their opinion of that person. And it never feels good when you have to do that. You know, it's like telling someone that Santa Claus isn't real. That's not really fun to do unless you're a small child and still an asshole. Right. Um, But in that episode, I had to, I had to talk about this stuff because I had to justify one of the sources that I used and it wasn't a source that I would normally use. And I had to justify why I was using it. And I know that I tried my best, you know, like that's all that I can do. I wasn't, I didn't do any of that from a place of this person's children are still alive and they're probably going to hear this. You can't think about that stuff. One of the worst things that happened to me when I was making the first season was on the Luber brothers episode. So I can't remember what episode I put out right before that, but it came out. And at the end of whatever episode it is, I announce what's going to be on the one the next week. And I announced Luber brothers, right? Get on Twitter a couple of days later and there's some guy, sorry if this is you, I've told the story a few times, sorry if this is you guy, but some guy's like, hey man, love the show, huge fan, the surviving members of the Leuven Brothers family are all going to be listening in the next week. And oh, I'm like, no. like <laughs> well, fuck me, I guess, man. Like, I, I didn't want to think about that, but, and I was really glad that I had already made it, you know, I was really glad that it was already done and I didn't have to then go make it thinking about that hanging over your head. But then of course, from then on, I had to think about it because this guy had, you know, introduced the reality of the situation, but it is just, you, you just have to strive for honesty. You know, you just got to try to do the right thing and make the right decision for the right reasons. Yeah. I don't, I I think that, uh, I missed the buck. I think that one may be a three parter. It's two. Yeah. Two. So I was on. Yeah. Normal, I didn't have a plug in my car for a long time to listen to podcasts, <laughs> so it would be plane rides, and uh, so I would just. Uh, uh, so I haven't got that one. I said I only skipped Spades Cooley, but I think I skipped that one and the other. Yeah, I, I mean, I put there were people who, I, and I don't understand the mentality behind this, but there were people who got mad at me for putting those disclaimers in that episode. Like, oh, I can't believe you put these dish cleaners in here. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I don't know how desensitized these people are. I don't know what websites they're routinely frequenting. But that story freaked me out for the entirety of the time I was working on it. I I hated thinking about it. And I really wanted to make sure that everyone who walked in that door knew what they were walking into. But and I, and I don't understand why anyone would even care. Like, dude, who cares? I warned people that this might be. If it's not a big deal for you, just stroll right past the warning. When people get weird about mad about weird things. Like, I would rather you warn me. Like, I like UFC until they start pounding a guy on the ground, and then I'm like, I'm checked out. Yeah, I don't mind watching people punch each other, but I can't. You know, I don't know. I'm just not into the graphic stuff like that. And uh, so I don't know if that's what the episode is about. Not UFC, obviously, but. Uh, but I was like, you know, I don't need this right now. You definitely don't. Emotionally, yeah. you know, I'm, I, I like, you know, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries all the time as a kid. And then I was scared of Ghost forever. Still am a little bit. Oh, well, if Unsolved Mysteries gave you ghost scares, yeah, you don't need to be touching. When I was working on, so the Speed Cooley episode of the podcast is the first one that I made. When you listen to that, you're listening to my first attempt to make a podcast ever because you're basically listening to a demo. I thought I was making a demo, and then when I got done, the thought of going back and making a 
better one using all the lessons that I had learned was torture because I had to spend more time on that episode than any other one because I was learning how to do all this stuff. I spent six weeks in that headspace. I was having nightmares with Spade Cooley in them talking to me. Yeah. So if any of this sounds uncomfortable to you, definitely don't listen to that episode. It all sounds uncomfortable to me. Yes, I'm not into it. The, uh, uh, so, all right. So let's, uh, maybe we, uh, maybe we talk about, um, some good things. What about some, <laughs> uh, some, some, pla- you, you talk about going to these restaurants and things that you like. What are, what are some places around the country that you've been to that you really like that you're like, this was great. We had a great experience. Well, for a long time, I basically just ate at truck stops. You yeah. know, I never I really, I never really attempted to take care of myself uh, just because I was living in the mode that had been handed down to me from the 50 year old alcoholics in the band that I was, that I was in, you know, I I learned how to to drink and eat and live and smoke and do drugs and from these people, you know? Right. So for a long time, I just felt bad and was in a bad mood all the time Uh, from the ages of of 15 to, I don't know, in my twenties for sure. Bad food makes you feel bad. Yeah. And you don't even know because you don't know the difference, you know, you eat a salad one day and that doesn't fix anything. So you're like, well, this is bullshit. Right. Right. Like I'm not full and yeah. Yeah. So it took a long time for me to figure out that grabbing a hold of the wheel a little bit was even an option. But once I did, yeah, it got a lot better. You know, bringing your own snacks, bring your own food, making sure you have water. Yeah. It's, you like to drink it, that kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, then, I mean, as the internet got better, as smartphones got better, all this stuff changed. I mean, if you look at what it used to be like touring using a physical atlas and pay phones oh, versus, versus now, it's cr- I mean, I remember this. My mom used to be the navigator on tour, you know, stopping at a pay phone and writing down instructions. She was great at it. But uh, compared to now, it's just a completely different ballgame. So once you've got apps on your phone telling you where you can find I mean, I remember one of the real eye-opening experiences for me was we had a week of shows fall through everyone everyone in the crew was addicted to gambling pretty much i wasn't really but when we had days off they would all want to go to a casino you know basically everyone who was making decisions about where we would go they would want to go to casinos so they we had a week of shows fall through near vegas and just were like well we'll just go spend a week in vegas and the whole time we're there people keep talking about how great the food is there and i like sushi a lot i've liked it my whole life so I see there's some new fancy sushi place that went, and again, this is the period of time where I'm just eating Taco Bell and McDonald's, and I go to the sushi place. It's called Kabuto, if it's still there. Go support this place because it's badass. I think it can only seat like 13, 15 people, one of those. Oh, yeah. Like you can choose two courses, like $75 or $125 or something, like two wow. different levels. I think I probably went for the cheapskate one because it's the first time. And anyways, they just blew my mind with rice and fish. You know, yeah. they took two things and blew my mind with it. And it was a real eye opening experience as far as what food could be and how you could get uh, certain types of satisfaction from certain places that you might not expect it. If no one ever taught you how to get it out of that, you know, like the same satisfaction someone gets from listening to a beautiful song you can get that from food is this is me 
understanding yeah. of the infamous meal. So after that, there was a lot of trying places, you know, and I've, I've been fortunate enough, all those, all those staying at someone's house and it being awkward thing that did usually come with some banging food. Like they were usually oh, pretty yeah. awesome meals that came along with it. So yeah. it wasn't all bad, you know, well, what about, uh, what about like country, uh, singers that you, you met along the way that, uh, that, that you really liked that you, uh, enjoyed meeting and hanging with them? Well, there. I mean, obviously, Willie Nelson. Anyone who's ever met Willie Nelson is going to tell you he's the coolest hang because he just totally is. The guy's hilarious. He's one of the funniest people you'll ever be around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of the famous people that I've been around have been real cool. Honestly, yeah. I haven't because the reason I was there is because someone was like, Hey, you've got to meet this person. They're right. cool. It, 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 generally people who are all assholes, I'm not going to be brought to meet them. You know? Right. right. Well, I just, I feel like that I like to believe that people that listen to my podcast also like country music, but I don't know if it's true. I tried to do a YouTube series for a little while where I would do top five country songs and it could have been my execution. So uh, I I came up a few views. I came up with a bunch of different names for the country music podcast before starting to work on working on it. And one of the ones that was on the short list and in the running for a long time was "I Bet You a Dollar You Like Country Music," oh, and like, that. That, like the title of the show. And I was gonna put my fucking money where my mouth was. Like, if you listen to this first season of this podcast and you don't hear a single country song you like. I'll mail you a dollar. That, like I, I thought of it. Yeah. And, uh, I ended up, just, I, I knew I, as soon as I realized how much actual work I was going to have to do, I realized that I didn't need to have some gimmick like that. That was going to be taking up all my time. This is what I find that people do, right? They, they say they don't like country and then you show them a country song mm-hmm. that they, you know, they like, and they'll go, well, that's not really country. Yeah. That's what people always do. Yeah. They always do that to me. And I'm like, of course it is. What's what's hilarious? I mean, first of all, you do like country music. Do you like music? Right. <laughs> you probably like country music. Um, oh, and even if you think you don't, if you like pop music or rock music, chances are good that some of the, some of the music that influenced the music you're listening to straight up came from country music. Yeah, you know, it's just it's so connected to everything that's happened in this country since it happened. You really can't get away from it, and, and that's the trick that I love. The show is Cocaine and Rhinestones: The History of Country Music. I honestly can talk about whatever I want to talk about, and it'll still be relevant to country music because country music is relevant to everything. Yeah, that's what I think is so great. The Merle Haggard episode, I felt like I learned so much about the Dust Bowl and about Oklahoma. And and you have to know that stuff to even have that conversation, right? I feel like I learned so much about, because, you know, the, for me up until that point, the most exciting thing about Merle Haggard was that he was in uh, San Quentin when Johnny Cash played. You're going to get so much hate mail for saying that. <laughs> for saying all right. So, of all the things that I have talked about so far on Cocaine and Rhinestones, the single thing that has made the most people mad is just any time I open my mouth about Merle Haggard. Apparently, everything I say about Merle Haggard is wrong. I don't know if he just has the most impassioned fans, yeah, or the most outspoken fans. I don't know if people feel like he doesn't get his just due or something like that. But man, 
Merle, Merle Haggard fans have sent me more hate mail than anyone. Wow. And I mean, it's fine. I know that I'm right, so I don't well, care. Well, for the record, I love Merle Haggard. Yeah, that, well, that's, I mean, I find myself having to say that a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I do. <laughs> I listen to him a lot. My wife probably hates him because I've listened to him so mm-hmm. much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he's great. And uh, But I thought that was it. I mean, that's what I like. What we had said earlier when you got just got to the house, I don't think we talked about that here, but kind of taking away the veneer of how everything's great in performance life all the time. Like, I don't want to open the door and be like, oh, look, look how sad I am. Yeah. But I want to be like, you know, if you see me in a room with 300 people in the audience, know that I've also done a lot of shows with like mm-hmm. six people in the audience. Yeah, well, it, it, people, when you talk about what it's really like to be on tour What's always going to happen is someone's going to tell you that you should be grateful that you get to do what you get to do. But no one's fucking saying that shit to doctors or dentists or, you know, it's it's just yeah. it's literally a job. And it's cool that you've seen Almost Famous and you think that that's what it's like. Right. But it's fucking not. You know, like there's a lot of bullshit that comes with it. And there's a lot of unique bullshit that you have to deal with to do that job that you don't have to deal with to do other jobs. For instance, fame. Not cool. Fame is not awesome. I realize this is an insane concept to say to people alive right now who cannot wait to check their phone as soon as I remind them that they might have a notification on it by saying that. You know, right now someone's looking at their phone because I just reminded them they might get that little hit. And, oh, fame's got to be like that times a million. There's there's a point at which it stops being fun. It stops being cool. And it's way before you start making any fucking money. I can promise you that. So the money's the only thing that makes the fame worthwhile. And you don't have to be famous to be a dentist, you know? So maybe just go be a dentist. Yeah, I don't think fame would be fun at all. It's not. Especially not now. Like, just the idea that me and you sharing our thoughts about Merle Haggard could could have people send hate mail. I was talking about this the other day. Uh, So the CMA Awards just happened, and... I went to a bunch of after parties, including the Big Machine after party at Florida Georgia Lines Honky Tonk that they opened on Broadway. Now, me saying that probably just blew someone's mind. The fact that I would walk in that building for that party on that night. But here's the thing about me. I'm always going to walk in that building for that party on that night because I want to see what the fuck's going to happen. I want to know what that party's like. Is Big Big Machine good at throwing a party? Also, by the way, I went to a bunch of parties that night. Big Machine's party was definitely the best one. They had the best DJ, the best food. The whole building smelled like vomit, but that's Broadway. Uh, Yeah, but we were talking about this because I ran into some people that I knew there and I was like, oh, hey, you're here too. And they were like, yeah, we were worried about running into someone that we knew here. And I told them, well, back in the day, before social media and all this shit, it was fine. Because the only people who knew you were at the party you weren't supposed to be at, they were there too. That's the only reason they saw you there. But now, any asshole can post a picture that you happen to be in. Some other asshole sees it, and you're busted, you know? Are your best friends with whoever that is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One picture now makes you best friends. Yeah, so I just posted a picture of me there and preempted all that. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a, that's the reality. Like, you can't do anything without people seeing you do it. Oh, yeah. And that's just in your friend crew now. You know, I mean, I, I lived in Springfield, Missouri the whole time. Oh, that I, was, it's, I don't recommend that as a place. Uh, it's not it's not my favorite place that exists. Uh, I just did comedy there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, lived, I lived there the whole time I was on tour. So like 12 years in that 
okay. place. Do you know the, the place Billiards? Oh, yeah. They have a comedy club in Billiards. Oh, man. Yeah, I've seen a lot of fist fights happen yeah. in that place. Yeah, it's uh, a wild place. Is it called the Blue Room that's in Blue Room. room. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go, buddy. Um, so, what was I talking We were talking about... You lived there. We were talking about uh, uh, being famous, and uh, uh, you were at the big machine party, and how friends can take pictures of you. And- yeah, that was it. It was something about... Oh, yeah, so... Um, They've got SpringfieldMugshots.com, uh, the, the mugshot website where you see what, pictures of everyone who gets arrested. And after every holiday, my asshole friends get on this website to look at all the pictures, like especially Halloween, to, to look at the pictures of everyone who has to get arrested in this stupid-ass costume that they decided to wear that oh, night. Yeah. And it is always hilarious, unless you're me, and you get arrested on Halloween, and then all your friends are texting you like, ah, your pictures are on SpringfieldMugshots.com. Like, that's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm in a band. That's just what it's like to be alive now with friends. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, all of this stuff, the, the, yeah, the, 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 the social media has like blown it all out of I mean like it used to be like someone has a picture of you and maybe you could take in it their wallet yeah. yeah and you would have to get into a gunfight to see who got to take the picture right but now they're <laughs> everywhere you know you can't get them off I, don't, I can't remember I can't recall the last time that I took a picture from my phone and did anything remotely Oh, I'm going to keep this one with it, you know? Because they just become valueless. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad takes his pictures off his phone and prints them and hangs them on the wall. That's awesome. He has a picture of Nick, like Nick Saban's headshot, basically. That's awesome that that is still a thing of value to him. I think that's sweet. Yeah. Some people still do those. They still print them off. I'm going to get some t-shirts made, I think, of some of the pictures that I have on my phone. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. You should. Yeah. Throw them out. Have some merch. <laughs> I get invited to a lot of parties I shouldn't be at, and I'm usually not as drunk as... So what... Well, yeah. Well, what about some of these parties? I mean, I do think that's <laughs> funny. What what goes on at the big machine party that makes it so good? Well, you can't talk about, you know, a lot of it, because then right. I'll stop getting invited. Oh, that's true. But... The well, they just had the, they had a better DJ than everyone. They actually had a party going on. It wasn't a bunch of people standing around congratulating themselves on a job well done. Yeah, or you know, other people just crashing to drink the free booze. This was an actual party. They had a dance floor that was packed, and the dude was playing. You know, the only rap that white people like. So like nineties uh, hip hop stuff, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. The um yeah, when I first moved to Nashville, I did a show at Zany's uh, for Jeff Ross. I was hosting. Yeah, I know Jeff. For a little and, bit, I've met Jeff. And he's a very nice guy. And John Rich was at the show. Yeah. And, uh, after the show, I guess uh, he was pretty drunk. And he shook my hand, and he gave me 180 bucks <laughs> for no, for nothing. And I was like, oh, this is great. I love Nashville. Yeah, I have heard a wide spectrum of stories about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, he, you know, and he, he tried to get us to come, me and uh, Jeff Ross and another comic, Bernard Hirsch, over to his uh, place to do a show. Yeah. I've, but it was all pending on Jeff Ross. If Jeff Ross didn't go, we didn't go, and he didn't go. So I mean, that was probably for the best. Yeah. It, most of the stories I've heard that take a hairy left turn, that turn gets taken later on in the evening. But I've been out of that place. He's got a pretty wild sort of bunker set up out there, multi-level concrete building oh, with yeah. a full-on venue inside of it. 
Right. See, that's what I heard. That's yeah. why I was like, that would be great. Let's do that. It is cool. I mean, yeah. you can, I mean, you can, I think you can rent it to throw parties. I don't think okay. he has to be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's more fun. I think if he invites you though, you know, for sure. But I, I don't drink, so I was also worried, like, what's going to happen when I get there? How do I get to his house and go, hey, I don't drink, guys. See, I just have a ginger ale and sit in the corner. There are some parties. I I have gone through bouts of not drinking. Yeah. And there are some parties where people don't handle someone who isn't drinking oh, very well. And I could see that being one of those parties. Me too. Yeah. I could see him being the guy that's <laughs> like, come on, man. Come on, man. Drink. Come on. I've had well that's that's something that's really difficult about being on tour too sometimes that doesn't get talked about a lot is if you are trying to not drink or if you're trying to be full on sober let's just say that on tour especially in a touring country band it's tough man especially because of the the cultural thing of if I offer to buy you a shot and you say no, you basically just told me to go fuck myself. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, I've almost come to blows over not wanting to drink when someone wants to buy me a shot, especially because yeah. they know that you used to drink. That's that's even worse. If they know that you used to drink and you're right. going through a thing where you're not, it's like, what? You just don't want to drink with me. That's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is like that. People because offer to of buy these- me drinks and I'm like, I. I appreciate it. And they're like, they act really insulted. I'm like, no, I appreciate it. That's one of those things. just give me money if you'd like. That's one of those things that ties into the, it can come off as complaining when you talk about that. Shut up. You're getting to live your dream or whatever. But these expectations that people have that you're just living some fantasy life is contributing to that of, well, you're just partying all the time. How, like, what the fuck? How come you don't want to party with me? And it's also what they want you to be. They want you to be out there living that dream because then they can think, well, at least someone is. Oh, yeah. You know, at least someone is living this dream. Right. Well, because otherwise, why the fuck do we care about celebrities? Why are actors paid obscene amounts of money? And why are we obsessed with their personal lives? It's because we like the idea that there's someone out there who gets everything they want. Yeah. You know, at least there's someone that gets everything. And that's fucking not true. But in their heads, something that those people want is never to just go home sober and sit down on a couch and watch TV. Right. They could be getting everything they want and everything they want could be uh, because I always tell people want to hang out with me after a show sometimes. And I'm honored that people want to hang. Yeah. Like you on stage, you just saw the most fun version of me. Yeah. It goes downhill after this. Well, I'm hilarious on stage. I'm not always that funny off. You're also doing them a favor by not hanging out with them and letting them see the offstage version. <laughs> right. Because <Yes>. letting, <laughs> them, letting them have their imagined best possible version of you is, of course, better than right. debunking it for them. Well, no, and this is also why I don't get why people have sex with their fans. What the fuck are you thinking about? Why don't you just <laughs> let them keep masturbating to you, idiot? Right. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I did want to say this is one of the small things that I've come to appreciate about not being on tour is just sleeping on the same mattress every night. Yeah. My, one of the things that kicked me over into having to pay attention to caring about my health was my body just quit. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I could run down the list of all this shit. There were like cysts, this thing called pseudo sciatica, which was muscle spasms, basically triggering sciatica. And it, it was very, very painful to do 
every single thing I needed to do to continue my life. And I was in a very bad mood and I had to, you know, adjust a lot of things, start taking care of myself. And a lot of that was just sleeping on different mattresses every night, you know, not having that consistency. People take shit like this for granted. Oh, yeah. You You really do. You take for granted being able to go down to the corner and get your favorite donut or whatever you like. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that is the difference between having a good day and having a bad day. Yeah. I mean, because sometimes you're in – that's why I actually want to do a podcast of just restaurants that I've enjoyed because there's so many crap restaurants that it's like – Half the cities you go to, there's nothing to eat. So it's like you're, and even where we live right now, I don't find a lot of good places. Dude, I can tell you, dude, the best tacos in the entire Nashville area are very close to where we're sitting right now. El Grienze, it's E L space G R U L L E N S E. Okay, legit lengua tacos. They're fantastic. That's great. That's good to know. It's just a little drive-through place. Yeah, I mean, you can sit and eat. That's going to be just down the road. It is. Yeah, it's where I don't know how long you've been in Nashville. The Mason Jar used to be in the same parking lot. It was the best soul food okay. that I had in this area. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, you're right though. Not great food all the way out here. And not great service, right? So I want, like I go sit down somewhere and then like I went to this one like uh, Thai place. and uh, I've, been, I've been there. And, and, and it just takes forever. Yeah. I, they found my food that's, the, that's the place that used to be the roller skating rink? Oh, maybe so. Yeah, I used to roller skate at that roller skating rink. Like, the food came and the girl, and it was wrong. And it had been like 45 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, I'd just kind of like to get out of here. And yeah. she goes, Instead of being like, I, I waited tables a long time. Instead of being like, no, let me get you the right thing. I'll get it right away. She was like, I get it. You can just go. I, <laughs> when I was on tour, I used to have the most contentious relationship with servers that you can imagine. Uh, and I'm sure it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy or became one at a certain point of me coming in there oh, I know this person's going to fuck my order up. And just that whole vibe causing them to fuck it up. And it really got out of control for a while. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I I remember specific interactions with servers. Again, when you're on tour, it's a super stressful thing. You're probably, you're exposing yourself to everyone else's illnesses. You're sick all the time. You feel like shit. You're just irritable. And a good meal can change it. It's not like if you're at home and you go, let's go out. Absolutely. A bad meal, you're like, whatever, I'll go back home sleep in my bed. Yeah. If you're on the road, a good meal could could change how you feel the whole rest of the drive. Yeah. I wish I could remember. I mean, there was a club in Louisiana where every time we played there, they would trade up fry catfish for us that was just oh, yeah. banging every time. Um, there was a place, there's a, a place in Rockwall, Texas. I don't remember the name of the venue, but people who live there know it. It was one of those steakhouse music venue things, and it, it, I think it's a, even a club. Like, you join and you're a member, and when you go there, you cook your own steak. That's some real Texas shit, right? Oh, like, you walk through and you go to the grill and you cook your own steak, and then you oh, go yeah. eat it. But Seems when, intimidating. When we played there, the dude cooked all the steaks for us, so oh, they were yeah. just mint, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah there's there are so many really... They're diamond in the rough. There's this place in California... Uh, I think it's called the Orange Blossom, and it's one of those San Juan, San something towns, I, I want to say. It's just out in the middle of a cornfield, but then the food that they serve you is all grown in local oh, farms yeah. and stuff. I, I re- I'll never forget this tomato. It was a zebra tomato, this green, and had like little white stripes on it. Oh. And in particular, we like tomatoes, but this thing was delicious. Yeah. I mean, this was eight years ago that I ate that tomato, and it 
affected me in such a positive way at a negative yeah. time in my life that I'm talking about it right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had like a, a corned beef sandwich in Richmond, Virginia that I still talk about. Where was that at? I've been to Richmond a lot. It was at, I forget, it, it was like, a, I feel like it was like a female name of the restaurant and it was uh, outside of downtown. I would have to look oh. it up. I had it. I remember we would do the hat factory there and there was a hot dog place about a block and a half away that when we would finish the show, I would get myself packed up as soon as possible and then try to get an order from everyone to run down there and get it to go order a dog's because we never stayed in town, but we played in Richmond. That's another thing people don't think about. They think you're going to play the show and go party. A lot of the times you just go sit on the bus in the clothes you just sweated in for an hour and a half. I always like that Jackson Brown song, The Loadout. I don't know if I know that one. It just it just feels like he gives a good description of of what uh, you know what it's like from night to night. Yeah, you know, it's. I mean, I I always refer to myself as a glorified carny. I refer to myself as a circus animal a lot. It's it's not. It doesn't feel glamorous when you're in it, you know. Yeah. And and there's a lot of work that go. I love Dolly. I love listening to Dolly Parton talk about what it's like to be her, to be that character, and everything. Because she's you can that's someone you can, anyone can look at and see. Okay, no one wakes up like that, you know. Yeah. Like people can look and see how much work is going into her being this thing every day. And so I, I just I love her talking about it. I feel like she's such an authority on this thing of how much work goes into making it look effortless. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't even think about that with her, but yeah, you're totally right. What um, if you, and you got a season, you only have season one out on this Cocaine and Rhinestones, right? Yeah, I'm wrapping up research on season two right now. I feel very good about where I am in yeah. the in the whole... Uh, Is there any, um, any uh, reveals that you would share? Well, I've... I've Talked enough about the fact that George Jones is going to play a pretty central figure in the second season. I'm not going to change much about it. You know, I I hate it when people come out with something great and then change it right away. Yeah, I think there's no need. Yeah, for sure. So I'm not going to change very much, but I'm also got to stay interested, you know, so there there are going to be some new things thrown in there. But I think if you like the first season, I think people like the second one. I think, I mean, I, I hope that it's much better. I expect yeah. it to be much better, you know. I listened to a little bit of your uh, your podcast, Your Favorite Band Sucks. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what, what inspired you to do a thing like that? <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I like it. I think yeah. it's fun because I like your tweets, too, that you'll put out just about random bands that, yeah. you know. And it's like because I feel like people, and maybe this is why, and I'm project, but I feel like over time, people just, they build up these bands and every band is so great. And it's, it's yeah. like, really, maybe they're not. They had some hits, but they're not great. Well, again, I think a lot, I think a lot of these imagined things that people have about at least musical artists, I can talk about that. I maybe should run my mouth about other stuff, but musical artists, you know, I think a lot of these ideas that we have are not serving us or music well yeah you know i think that if we are more honest or at least more open to questioning established narratives then we'll all be better off in the long run and we'll get better stuff to listen to you know i have very fucking high standards for what i'm going to allow my time to be spent on yeah here's the thing about recording technology is 
if you're a musical artist and you say, I'm going to put something on record and put it out, you just stepped in the ring with everyone else who's ever done that. You're not just like, oh, well, here's what all these other bands are doing right now. No, 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 no. I don't give a fuck, dude. Are you as good as Hendrix? Right. You know, like, I settle for nothing less than electricity up my spine because I can get electricity up my spine anytime I want to. So I don't need to listen to someone who's giving me some bullshit watered-down version of something that's much better just because it's new, just because I can go buy a ticket and be in the same room as them. I don't really care about that. Um, and so, yeah, well, uh, there are a lot of reasons why I think uh, the world needs your favorite band sucks. Well, and I just, yeah. started, I just started writing a song. Right when I was talking right no, now? No. Oh, and, that would have been very impressive. And you're, uh, and you know what? And hearing that, that I would be stepping into the ring with everyone. Yeah, you should probably quit. Right. You I should did. probably quit. I'm going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But all right. So I've had you here for a long time. We've almost done an hour. I, I appreciate uh, you doing this. Hell yeah. Uh, is there, and I, I don't, uh, you know, since it's, I love country, you love country, I, I wouldn't expect you to have a favorite song. But are, are there some songs that you could recommend to country fans or, or, or maybe people that don't even like country that they should go and listen to? Hell yeah. I mean, when you brought up John Conley, that's one I always, I mean, if you like, if, if you like John Conley, you for sure like country music. Backside, Backside of 30 is a killer song. Uh, Rose Colored Glasses is pretty much everyone's entry point to John Conley. He's one of the greatest singers I he has actually has a song called Common Man that I like a yeah, lot, yeah. except for the McDonald's reference. <laughs> I like a lot of '60s Nashville sound era country music. Okay. I, I think that stuff is it's real easy, especially for people who say they don't like country music because it's basically just rock and roll. Yeah, and because rock and roll came from country music, basically. What would what would for people that don't know? I mean, and I'm not exactly sure. I'm entirely clear, but what would you mean by the Nashville sound? Could you? Give well, I mean, a lot of what George Jones made okay. is specifically the Nashville sound. This is another kind of funny thing when we talk about those uh, country fans who like that. They glamorize that outlaw country era. That's the only thing that mattered. Nashville sound, pop country sucks. You know, I hate pop country. Right. George Jones. From the beginning of his career to the end of his career, recorded explicitly nothing but pop country yeah. the entire time that he was a musical artist. And he was hands down the greatest country singer ever. So it's just really funny to me that people always talk about okay. uh, that kind of shit. Who, those people would also back George Jones hard. My favorite George Jones album is not one with any hits on it. It's not one with songs that people have probably even heard. It's called George Jones Sings the Songs of Dallas Frazier. And it's, every song is written by this amazing songwriter, Dallas Frazier. It's always difficult for me to call him just a songwriter because he's also a fantastic singer. Look up him singing that song, Tell It Like It Is. Uh, it'll blow your mind. Dallas Frazier. Uh, but he wrote every song on this George Jones album. And something about it, it's, it's just great. It's right in the middle of the George Jones period when everyone complains about the production on his albums not being done very well. And they're right to complain about that. It's when Pappy Daly was producing him. So Pappy Daly was not really a producer. It was essentially just George and the band and they're doing whatever they wanted. But somehow this one album, everything on it, it's just the pedal steel guitar licks are my favorite versions of these licks. Even if you've heard them elsewhere, uh, it's got the Jordan Airs on it. Normally, that's some shit I don't like, like the mm, 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 background vocals and oh, shit yeah. like that. <laughs> but like that's yeah. in there, and I love it. It works so well. 
there's not a bad song on it. You could sit down and play these songs on an acoustic, and even if you're terrible at singing, they would still work. They're just great songs. So, yeah, I would say check that album out. Okay. Great. Well, that's awesome. And our... um what are some ways that people could check you out and find your stuff? Okay, well, here's the thing. If you're a fan of Cocaine and Rhinestones, you don't have to follow me on social media. You okay. totally don't have to. Right. Because I also make that other podcast, Your Favorite Band Sucks. And both of these things are just as much a part of me as the other one is. So on social media, a lot of people can't handle me. But if you want to, okay. it's just my name, Tyler Mayhan Co. Try it. If you like it, stay on board. If not, it. unfollow me because I super don't care. I love it. Yeah. That's great. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I so you spent, um, I was trying 16 years on the road. Uh, but, well, I mean, 13 full time nonstop. Yeah. And bonus and now you've made at it. various times. You made it. No, I haven't made it. No, oh, by the way, none I mean, of you made it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Survive. Oh, I cannot tell you how good it feels to not be in the music business. Yeah. It's especially I imagine at, so. at this point in the music business, it's t- a terrifying place to be right now. Yeah. See, I almost, I think maybe I did the opposite of you. I mean, I, I worked, I had a job, I sold pesticides for 10 years, and then I became a comedian. Yeah. So now I'm like, you yeah. waited for the gold rush. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So, well, I appreciate you coming in. Oh, yeah, man. And, uh, all right, we're having a good time. Absolutely. Having a good time.